Today on the podcast, a mantelpiece moment that sets me a target and a goal for the rest of the year. A novel that explores the brutality of 15th century Paris, and of course, the weekly reveal to what magical book I have pulled down from my to-be-read shelf. All of that and more this week on A Novel Review. Hello and welcome to the literature podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature, and the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle, so let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, hello, good day. Welcome back to the beginning of another episode of A Novel Review. Welcome to the new year. This is a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. I am your host, Seamus, and I mean, if you're watching this on YouTube, you might have already noticed the big change for this year, the big shakeup for the podcast. This is no longer just an audio experience. There is a visual element to it now as well. You can see me speaking. If that is something you are interested in, that is available on YouTube. That's a very quick housekeeping. Um, We'll have a bit more housekeeping in a second, but I just wanted to sort of touch on that. I didn't want to just start speaking and you guys be like, whoa, he's suddenly on the screen. What's the deal? Let's just not address it. Let's move on. Today, I will be talking about the famous bell ringer of Paris, the hunchback of Notre Dame. But before I jump into this book, I always take a moment to reflect on any mantelpiece moments. Something to highlight from the week past and this year we're kicking things off with a bang a new year's resolution of sorts my girlfriend actually gave me this idea so here it is every week when i release an episode i always use a picture or a photograph i should say on instagram and i generally try use a photo that i've taken and that loosely ties to the book somehow so there's sort of just that added element of story continuation Um, And I mean, I have a lot of fun doing that, but it does sometimes become difficult to align the books. And something else I like doing aside from photography is dodgy watercolors. Uh, And my girlfriend said, why don't you paint a picture every week just to sort of, I don't know, have an excuse to hopefully get better at painting, but also, you know, tie it into the book. So that's what I'm going to do this year. That's what I'm trying to do this year. I can show you the first one for the benefit of those who don't have Instagram and are watching this on YouTube. There is Notre Dame. Hopefully you can see that. I'm covering up, uh, I think, the episode that's coming out in another three weeks' time. Actually, I will just reveal it because I don't think anyone's going to be able to guess what book relates to that picture. Although, if you do have an idea, please send me a message. Take a guess. I will... Um, I'll give you a shout out on the pod if you can correctly guess the book related to that picture. You can probably see that for Notre Dame I've kind of used this a bit of pen outline, give it this kind of cool sketched effect, which is kind of cheating I guess, but there's no cheating in art, so deal with it. Um, And basically, yeah, I, I mean, for this week I picked Notre Dame because it's the hunchback of Notre Dame. Notre Dame for me was this kind of inanimate character thread, threaded throughout the entire novel. So that's why I chose it for the topic of this week's picture. Um, yeah, just trying to have a bit of fun with it and mix things up a bit. So go check it out. They will be on Instagram every week. Uh, and yeah, on with the show.
Housekeeping, as always, all the scripts from the episode will be available on the website. Also, the episodes are on YouTube. You can now watch me doing them. And hopefully somewhere around here, there are closed captions if that is more your cup of tea. Can you hear the bells ringing in the new year? They are the bells of Notre Dame ringing across the land. Victor Hugo's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. A big, big book. And a book I reckon not many people have actually read. Everyone kind of knows the story, to be fair, but that is probably helped a lot by the Disney film, which is a classic and one of my favourites, although I was talking to a friend the other day, and he reckons it's one of those films that not many people have seen that either, but everyone says they've seen as well, But which like it's just crazy to me because it's one of the better Disney films out there. Now, I actually came to this book years ago and I tried to read it I got I think 50 pages in and then was like this is just a hot pile of garbage I'm not enjoying this at all and I gave up this would have been a back in 2019 maybe 2020 which I guess isn't that long ago but it is a pre-covid world so I mean that just seems foreign insane crazy I don't know seems so long ago a different world let's be honest so fast forward a few years to this year although this will be the first step of 2024, so last year. But right now, fast forward to right now, and I saw there was an audiobook version narrated by someone called Bill Homewood. Now, as much as this episode is about Hunchback, respect has to be paid to the maestro narrator, Bill. This was my second novel I have listened to by Bill. The first was The Count of Monte Cristo, which I originally read first, and then I wanted to read it again but then sort of didn't have the time so I chose to listen to it and came across Bill's recording of it and he killed it he killed it to the point that when I come to a reread of Monte Cristo I am genuinely uncertain if I will read it or listen to his narration again he is he's really that good I honestly could not give him a bigger rap so then when I saw he'd narrated this book I then, like, I I knew I struggled with it. It left a bad taste in my mouth. So I thought, if anyone can pull me out of this, it's Bill. And, I mean, I finished the book. That's a good start. This fact really does remain. He was absolutely incredible. This isn't to take anything away from the story, because once I got into the story a lot more, it did pick up, and I did sort of understand it more and, and related to the characters and enjoyed it, which is important, but... I mean, Bill's narration really did help, and he just does another fine job. So that's just a little shout-out to Bill. But enough about that. We need to get into the meat of this story. Now, I'm sure we all have a general overview in our minds, but I'm going to do an overview anyway because it's the new year. We're probably feeling a bit sluggish after too much pudding. The Hunchback of Notre Dame centers around a few chief characters. Mainly the Hunchback, who is called Quasimodo, who is a deformed man known as the bell ringer of the Church of Notre Dame. Then there's also the Gypsy Girl, who is a Romani immigrant called Esmeralda. There are a few other characters of importance. The Archdeacon Claude Frollo, who is the kind of father figure in Quasimodo's life, and he's also in love with Esmeralda. Esmeralda is in love with a man called Captain Phoebus de Chateaupers, and then there is a poet, Pierre Gringoire, who by chance ends up marrying Esmeralda quite early in the novel. So what is this novel actually about? It is a big, vast, sweeping novel set in 15th century Paris, 
and the story generally revolves around Quasimodo. He is this deformed bell ringer, and he is also in love with Esmeralda. This, you know, she's described as this beautiful gypsy dancer, but he faces societal rejection due to his appearance. The novel explores these themes of love and prejudice and the power of fate as a result of these. Through the different relationships of the above characters, the novel delves into the complexities of human nature and the struggles faced by individuals who are considered outcasts, whether that be a physical disability or a racial prejudice, or something else entirely. Hugo paints a captivating portrait of medieval Paris and the human condition, but also quite a bleak one. And bleak is the perfect word because the novel, especially the ending, is quite different from the film, which, I mean, is not a surprise that the, that the novel is different and that the film has made it more palatable to children and that it's been disnified but the view of paris at this time is just one of sheer brutality like every day just seemed to be a struggle to simply survive not at all helped by the chaos these individuals bring upon themselves now basically everyone is in love with esmeralda so let's talk about that for a second one of the main issues I had with this book, and it's not an issue with the book itself, but one of the main issues I personally had was you read this from a modern perspective, and that can taint the story a bit because everyone is in love with Esmeralda, and there's the slight issue that she is 16 years old in the story. I'm talking like Claude Frollo has pages and pages profusely confessing his love and adoration for this girl, and he's in like, I think his mid-40s? And the whole time you're just reading it through gritted teeth like, oh, dude, I don't know, like, let's chill with these confessions and professions of love. She's 16. So, yeah, but that's sort of that's sort of the only thing that was really sticking in my mind the entire time. She was 16 and it's a bit unsettling, but you do just kind of have to go, well, it was a different time. Yeah, it was a different time. So we just sort of have to move on and move past this. One of the novel's main focuses is that of identity throughout society. Quasimodo is ostracized for his physical appearance and throughout the novel becomes a symbol of societal rejection faced by those deemed to be different. Esmeralda also, as a Romani woman, experiences discrimination on account of her ethnicity. And so Hugo uses these characters to shed light on the irrationality and prejudice and the devastating impacts this can have on individuals and communities. And so. The novel becomes this melting pot of social constructs and perceptions and how that affects the lives of the people living in this city. Claude Frollo is torn between his intense desire, pages and pages professing his love, this intense desire for Esmeralda and the fact that he's an archdeacon, but he actually succumbs to his desires, ordering Quasimodo to kidnap her. This plan is foiled though by Captain Phoebus, whom Esmeralda then falls in love with. Now this irrationality that I was talking about is probably one of the chief driving forces of the novel and is established really early in the text when Pierre Gringoire accidentally finds himself in the Court of Miracles, which is the name given to the kind of slums of Paris at the time where a lot of the immigrants were located. Well the first thing the court does is basically sentence Pierre to be hanged for being an outsider. Now I mean I'm saying one of the first things but it's not really one of the first things because this is a big book with a lot of fat on it. I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I did enjoy this, but I'm also just being incredibly brief with the story. 
So they're about to hang him for essentially nothing until Esmeralda steps up and says that she will marry him, only doing this to save his life, the life of a man she doesn't know. And this highlights another of the chief ideas threaded throughout the novel, that of love. The selfless love of Esmeralda in this moment, the possessive love and destructive love of Claude Frollo, who earlier that day had tried to have Esmeralda kidnapped by Quasimodo. Almost everyone in this story is operating under the pretense of love, and yet the outcomes are incredibly different, and only highlight further the different kinds of love, and how it can be both a redemptive and a destructive force. The next day, Quasimodo is being sentenced to be flogged and placed in the pillory for a few hours at the exposure of the public for his attempted kidnapping. After being out there, Quasi calls for water, which the crowd all turn from almost in disgust for what they consider a beastly demand. All except one, Esmeralda. And despite the fact that Quasimodo is being punished for trying to kidnap her, she ascends the stage in this kind of act of defiance and gives him some water, and so with this act, wins Quasimodo's affections. And so we see again how it's the kindness and the actions that win the affections of people, despite backgrounds and prejudices. What this novel does is, it teaches us, it doesn't matter who you are, but simply what you put out into the world. Out of the main characters, you would say from their expected service to society, that Archdeacon Claude Frollo and Captain Fabus de Chateaupers are immediately held in high regard and respected by society based on a title. But throughout the novel, through their actions, they are worse in comparison to the deformed bell ringer and the immigrant gypsy girl, whose actions are always pure of heart. A slight concession that might be a little unfair to put Claude and Phoebus together because, you know, Claude Frollo is a thousand times worse, but Phoebus didn't exactly win my affections through his actions either. But then as the novel goes on, we learn that this perception of respect plays upon the sentiments and prejudices of society. Now, I won't spoil the ending, I won't spoil any more of the story, but it's one of those ones where you come away thinking that respectability and honour are dead, and then at the very end you are given the briefest glimmer of love and hope. What I loved about this book is just the sheer size of it, and how quite a large part of the story actually comes from smaller, almost snapshots of randomly collected citizens who are just going through life, almost watching the scenes unfold. And so what this does is it places you as the reader among these people watching the scenes and it makes you feel like you're part of the society that's watching these scenes. And so for a large part of the novel, it doesn't actually really feel like a novel of sorts, but more just a collection of stories that all have this connecting vein, and that vein is of course Quasimodo and Esmeralda, and of course Notre Dame itself. And this is another really fun element concerning Notre Dame and the scope of the novel. So much of it you could consider useless to the general storyline itself, and acts as almost filler information similar to that of Moby Dick and the chapters and chapters of whale talk. While it's not strictly needed, it is kind of welcomed and gladly welcomed. There is, you know, there's just one fantastic chapter, and it's quite a long one at that, but it's about the history of cathedrals and their evolution. And so, for a brief period, the story actually takes the backseat, and instead you're sinking your teeth into history. And sure, you could say that, well, that was a waste, it's, it's not part of the story. No, not in the slightest. It adds this validity to the text that makes you consider the importance of things like Notre Dame. It makes you curious about them, makes you understand the importance of them, and it also cements the importance of Notre Dame as an almost 
overarching silent character that defines the novel. So let's have a quote. Before I read this novel, let's have a quote. And naturally we need to have a quote about love. And it reads, Love is like a tree. It grows by itself, roots itself deeply in our being, and continues to flourish over a heart in ruin. The inexplicable fact is that the blinder it is, the more tenacious it is. It is never stronger than when it is completely unreasonable. A beautiful depth to his writing that flows by really easily and made it you know, a treat to read. I'm going to rate this novel a 4 out of 5. So what am I reading this week? This week I am reading, for the benefit of those watching on YouTube, I'll hold the book up. For those just having the audio experience, I will tell you, I am reading Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. A bit of a nostalgic one this week. I don't think I've actually read this book before, which is kind of interesting. I know my father read it to me as a child, but I don't think I personally have read this book, which is weird because I, 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 like, I know I've read every other Harry Potter book before, but not this one, which I can't imagine why I never returned to it. So jumping in, I'm going to do all the Harry Potters this year, all seven books. Yes, seven books, eight films. Um, I forgot how in the early stages of the novel, the characters really seem like caricatures of themselves, basically. They almost seem really over the top and ridiculous. And I mean, she's done this on purpose, I, I imagine, and makes the whole story seem really childish which is kind of funny because the benefit of hindsight having you know i know the entire story i know what's coming and i know how dark it does get so it, it is kind of fun to be in those first few chapters where the whole story just seems absolutely absurd and ridiculous i also forgot how small this book is but how much actually happens in it which is great fun i mean it's a very dense film it's two and a half hours i think and a lot happens like there's very snapshots and they rush through a lot of things which you know, they sort of had to do for the film. They had to get as much in as possible. Um, but yeah, I'm going to do all of them this year. So stay tuned for that. Now, before I close out the show, if you have listened this far, please consider hitting those five stars. I would really appreciate it. Also, like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. Also, feel free to head along to the website and support the pod. And of course, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for your attention. So I think it's time to to end this episode and today to take us away i think a bit of claire keegan and this wonderfully insightful quote many's the man lost much just because he missed a perfect opportunity to say nothing 